Skyway buckets. We'll talk to the owner of these items, Richard Kraft, and find out which of these ride vehicles he slept in. The first few rows should be considered a splash zone, as you will likely get drenched by tears wept by three nerds as they meet their hero, Imagineering legend Tony Baxter. cannot begin until you turn to the left side of your seat and tug on the dirty yellow strap. Permanecer sentados, por favor. Live from the abandoned sports authority in beautiful Sherman Oaks, California, it's podcast The Ride! Wow. This is crazy. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Podcast The Ride Live. Uh, Hi there. I know this is probably your first live podcast recording and it's ours too. Yeah, now like we're gonna have like a lot of fun. It's gonna be a party. Imagine this is the 1980s and you're all cool teens and this is Videopolis, baby. Okay? So it's very exciting. We got a lot of fun stuff. Going to the top, Videopolis. We got a lot of fun stuff planned. Um, Sure do. Let's say our names. I'm Scott Gardner. Yeah. Uh, Hello. Scott. Sir. My name is Mike Carlson. Thank you. Uh, that's almost everyone, right? That's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, the equation. I guess we are missing someone. We could just leave him back there and then he doesn't get to do this unless he's officially invited up. That'd be funny and he'd be very mad. Certainly would. So, uh, let's not let that happen. I mean, we just, we thought that he, uh, deserves a, an extra big entrance because he's preparing for a very up, a very important upcoming job that he'll have in about 20 years or so. Uh, yes, he's he's in the middle of like a hungry campaign for the highest office in Disneyland. Okay, this is a man who believes that everyone should be treated equal and that all treats should be enjoyed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome the future mayor of Disneyland, Jason Sheridan. Now is the time, now is the best time, now is the best time of Thank you. Life is a prize, live every minute, open your eyes and watch how you win it. How are you, gentlemen? We're excellent. Jason, uh, meet your constituents. I mean, thank you all so much for coming out. Thank you for your support and... 20, 30 years when I'm uh, in my ripe old age, staring death in the eye, preparing to take on the role of mayor in Disneyland. (laughs) Uh, Wow, what an inspiring speech. (laughs) This is uh, very fitting because we're only blocks away from where I uh, first crashed for a couple months uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, it's right off of Woodman, like Walt Disney getting off that train to California. <laughs> I stepped out of a dirty green Saturn Ion, which has only gotten dirtier. 
and stepped into uh, the dream, the Hollywood dream. Yeah, he's a he's a real man of the people, folks. Yeah, uh, I will run that Saturn into the ground <laughs> before I know. get a new car. And then it'll, it's going to be part of theme park history. They're going to sell it here at the Van Eaton Galleries. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're making history here tonight. This is. Totally insane for us. We do this thing in a living room with a damn dog running around. The last one of these we did, I choked on dog hair a little bit on the microphone, and I had to stop talking. Uh, here, we're in a we're in a room of 300 people uh, at the most prestigious venue possible. <laughs> the I mean, the, that's from Disneyland Gallery, but, but, you know, in a broader sense, the Westfield Fashion Square, which, if you know me personally, and you know how I feel about malls in the valley, you know this is essentially my Carnegie Hall. Uh, it's a really big deal for me. My only regret is that they did not orient the stage so that uh, the giant painting that says Team Sports back on that wall <laughs> was not directly behind us, mocking us for an for, hour and a half. For never playing sports in our real never, life? Yeah. Is that what dramatic irony is? Would that I, be dramatic irony? I th sure, you can call it that if you want. All right. <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for coming. I mean, thank it's you for being so here. This it's insane. There's people came from far and wide. We just talked to a gentleman from Australia. Is anybody f from a farther place than Australia? <laughs> Thousand Oaks? Hey, Thousand Oaks? Shout out to Thousand Oaks, too. Mm. Any Valley Villagers in the house? <laughs> um, oh, boy. I mean, yeah, that, uh, it's just really, it's just nice to have uh, concrete proof that we do uh, have an audience, that anyone listens to this. Yeah. Thing. I feel good about that. There's so many friends here. There's so many past guests of the show here. Uh, uh, my parents are here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd say wave, except I can see nothing, so I won't know. Wait, hey, yeah, you did poke through. Thank you. Uh, my parents, the people who, depending on how you slice it, either made me this way or didn't do enough to stop me from being this way. Um, I also want to say to them really fast, you remember those years from approximately, you know, age nine to, let's say, 19, uh, where I wasn't uh, super social and I mostly just rambled on about stuff I saw on, you know, mouseplanet.com and Laughing Place and uh, Teacup Town, all the great uh, theme park websites. Well, you now here in front of you, incontrovertible proof, it took a couple of decades, but I made two friends. Two friends. You know... I, this is true. I was talking to my mother yesterday, and she said, you know, because my mom knows Jason, but my mom's never met Scott, and she goes, you guys are such nice boys, and I, she's like, I have never met Scott, but I can tell. So, a mother just knows. I just wanted to praise your family for that, for raising you to be a very nice boy. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And no uh, rules broken by me. That's why I'm not going to take any of the uh, sporting goods stuff that's left back here. It's not mine. Yeah, I, does anyone want some dirty industrial shelves? <laughs> because we have a surplus of dirty industrial shelves. <laughs> um, so this is a very special night for us for a lot of reasons. But there's, mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's one pretty big thing for us, which is, you know, the 
the, the, the dream, the golden dream of uh, any podcaster is to uh, get a sponsor. And for tonight, we finally have one who made this whole thing possible. We have a sponsor tonight. Uh, yeah. We, we, tonight, we are sponsored, proud to, we're proud to say, by the good people at ExxonMobil. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, we want to thank ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil, accident-free since the accident sign broke. <laughs> you know, Exxon uh, has made a lot of great things possible in this world. In 1982, uh, they helped Disney create the, their greatest attraction of all time. And by greatest, I mean longest. And, uh, and we're going to perform a little, a little song in tribute to Exxon right now. Feel the flow, here we go, through the universe of energy, see it glow, it's the universe of energy, come through time, set the course, sail the winds, tap the source, from the sea. the flow here we go through the universe of energy feel it grow see it glow it's the, the universe, universe of energy Thanks so much. Thanks to ExxonMobil. Um, and now I think we, uh, we have a duty to meet the people uh, not only uh, crazy enough to have us come in their space and ruin it with terrible singing, but also the people uh, crazy enough to, to put this entire event on. Because if you don't know it, everything that you saw downstairs, did everybody get to see the exhibit downstairs before the show began? <laughs> Pretty incredible, and it's uh, it's all from the collection uh, of of the of the same man. Uh, uh, this guy and his son put on this incredible event. And we're going to ask him a little bit about uh, uh, how this all came together. Please welcome Richard and Nicholas Kraft. Hey. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Oh yeah, join in. Well, we have a song too. Oh great. Whoa. <laughs> we don't have a song. Feel free, tune up if you need to. Uh, can I get an Okay. Uh, well, oh, yeah, just flick those mics you know on what? whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You'll hand it back to us. Um, hello everyone. Thank you for coming. <laughs> these are the people. These are the people who made this whole thing possible and congrats on the success of this so far, it's the talk of Instagram. Uh, it's the talk of the theme park nerd. It's the number one Disney attraction in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> <laughs> we bested the Disney store over in the Westfield Mall. Yeah. yeah. Right. By the way, Eat we are Disney technically store? not part of the Westfield Mall. We are Westfield Ooh. Mall adjacent. Mm. No. We don't want to get sued by Westfield. No, that's <laughs> ugly. Yeah. I also think I parked in the Westfield, and I'm worried now that I'll be towed. So I might give me a sec. Hang on. Um, no, I'll stay here because we need to. We need to find out 
what what happened here? How this all came together? You clearly, <laughs> have spent a lifetime uh, uh, collecting this insanity, and uh, uh, tell tell us a little bit about your collection. Okay, so the collection started 25 years ago. Uh, prior to that, I was just another kid who went to Disneyland once a year. I was very lucky. Grew up in Bakersfield, which made me very unlucky. But yeah, really, give Bakersfield what for? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, in some ways, there's no spot on earth that's more the opposite of Disneyland. Okay. So uh, they, uh, but my my parents realized this. So they would save up their money. They were school teachers. And we'd go to Disneyland once a year. I had an older brother who had a, a Crohn's disease. So we had to do two things to go to Disneyland. First, we needed the money. Second, he needed to feel well. So a trip to Disneyland was extraordinary. It was like the best day imaginable times a million. And in between trips, we had the attraction poster on our bedroom wall. And we would plot and plan for the next trip how we were going to allocate our tickets from the ticket book. Because it never occurred to us you could buy extra tickets. So if you had three e-tickets, you're just going to go on three e-rides. And we also treated it like a military operation. So we'd plot what path we would take. I want to ask the audience, by a show of screams, because I can't see any of you, how many of you enter on the left tunnel and how many on the right tunnel? So scream if you're a left tunnel person. And how many of you are a right tunnel person? That's hard to determine. How many people go both ways? <laughs> I'm a both ways guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. in and then back out and then in again? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sure. Yeah. So, um... This is everyone's story, by the way. I went to Disneyland once a year. People are wondering, mm-hmm, but I didn't then buy all of Disneyland. <laughs> Something happened. Something did happen. It involved death. My brother died 25 years ago, and I was a bit despondent, as one would be when someone dies, and I didn't know how to feel better, so I instinctively went to Disneyland. And I recognized, oh, I'm walking on the same sidewalk we walked on, and I'm smelling the smell of the water at Pirates of the Caribbean, and tasting a Dole Whip before it was trendy, and... And uh, the sound of the Swiss polka playing out of the treehouse before the Swiss Family Robinsons were evicted. And all of these sights and sounds and tastes, oh, just the feel of lacquered handrails brought back a million memories. So a few weeks later, I heard there was going to be a Disneyland auction and there was going to be attraction posters. And I always loved the Autopia poster, the best of all. Like this hearty father with his son and everybody's in a really good mood and they're kind of retro-futuristic. So I got that and I'm a bit obsessive. So one poster became- Don't say. Yeah, one, one poster became every poster, minus one. I never ever got Casa de Frito. Oh, I want to hear sadness over this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is heavy. And I I used to justify, oh, I don't want it. It's ugly. That is Mm -hmm. the worst sour grape or sour Frito story ever told. (laughs) And so then I somehow realized you could get ride vehicles. And I sort of became known as the guy. So 
a lot of black market people would sh call me in the middle of the night. I've got six It's a small world figures. <laughs> it was like a hostage situation. Yeah. I literally met those figures in a deserted Fry's parking lot, and they were in the back of a truck. It's all come full circle. Now we're at an abandoned sporting goods yes. store. They've returned home, sort of. But I have been to Fry's, and I can say I've never been to a sporting goods store. Yes. This wow. I am glad that you chose to meet, although it was closed, in the parking lot of the thematic electronic oh my God. store. I, I, yeah. Well, Nikki and I always say, what if a flying saucer actually did crash in a building? And we're all just thinking, oh, isn't that clever? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been laughing at the pain of many yes. people for many Also, who's like, Best Buy or Fries, and the, the owner of Fries is like, we got we to gotta do something. Should we yeah. offer lower prices? Should we do some sales? No, let's just theme and they're all themed differently the woodland hills is like alice in wonderland is yep. that correct it's not as cool as the b movie sci-fi yeah. in burbank oh, that's it's, the yeah well that's the that's the disney sea i think of uh yes uh, yes <laughs> yes Ooh, good. and the dca is definitely the <laughs> yes yeah. Oh, yeah and it's Ooh. the wrong alice like if it was a disney themed alice it'd be awesome but it's like based like there was a book before the movie <laughs> Yeah. What? Wait, so it's just like a nightmare Edward Gorey <laughs> Alice yes. in Wonderland electronics yeah, it's, it's, store? It's absolutely joyless. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I want to buy a D-cell battery, I want happiness. <laughs> um, so, death posters collecting 25 years ago. And I'm really blessed. There's two things in life I'm extremely passionate about. One's Disneyland and the other is uh, film and Broadway music. And I get to combine both of them because what I do for a living is represent as a talent agent film and Broadway composers including three Disney legends who I collect. I want to put them in Lucite cases because I have Richard Sherman of the Sherman Brothers. Yeah, That's a one of two. Yes. That comes in a set of two. Yes. And uh, Danny Elfman from Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Danny's my first client. We've been together like over 30 years. And then I acquired for my collection Alan Menken. Hey. Who will be doing a charity concert on this very stage. Because as his agent, I said I finally... He did some prestigious things. There's just a big event for him at Carnegie Hall. But I said, you've never played a sports authority. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I think we, but we beat him. We did the first we musical performance at yes. the venue. Well, that's how we sold him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Always wanted to. So uh, August 24th, Alan Menken on this stage with the piano, singing songs, telling stories, and 100% of the profits go to charity, which brings to why this exists. We don't need you guys, by the way. He's just going to go. You guys could like get <laughs> break. You're fine. Yeah, so... Uh, we charity grew up. He grew up with all the collectibles. Like he had the tiki bird over his bed. Yeah, naturally, uh, as one but would. We did not know it worked. Ah, uh, we thought we, it came mounted on the the sign that's hanging there, and we just thought it was a nice theming for the sign. And then when you turned it over to Mike Van Eaton of Van Eaton Galleries, he said, "Wow, you have an original Jose the Tiki Bird." We said, "No," he said. Yes, you do. Yeah. And uh, you were skeptical. I'm a little happy that I didn't know it worked. That would have been a horror. Like, you would have snuck into my room at night, you know, and, like, turned him on. And, like, it's a... 
having been here for a week hearing that song over and over. It's a great song, great Sharon Brothers song. It is a ride of racial stereotypes. <laughs> what? I, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> So it's very all, uncomfortable. All here. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable to just hear these racial stereotypes oh, in this exhibit. I think it's exhibit. extremely progressive. Uh, yeah. Nothing that wouldn't, uh, it's weird in 2018. There's no way that's a white guy doing the voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of, you'll notice every attraction poster, the people are white. I did notice that. Except for some reason, Matterhorn. We think it's because most of the poster is white, so they would have blended in. So they are black people Say the word they're black people and it predated cool runnings is what we kind of realized oh, <laughs> oh i think right. someone saw that poster and said there's a movie <laughs> disney gets their ideas from everywhere uh, apparently uh, i um you know i we want to we, we want to show you something uh, really fast we're not uh, uh, you know, we don't have, as, as podcasters, we don't have the uh, discretionary uh, funds to uh, buy uh, thousands and thousands of items, but we, uh, we are amateur uh, uh, theme park uh, speculators, and uh, uh, we, we look at some of this stuff on the podcast once in a while, and, and a long time ago, we found, a, uh, we found a little piece of art that we wanted to have, you as an expert, we wanted to have you appraise it a little bit, sure. and yeah. just kind There's of... There's nothing what, like if, visuals on a podcast. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it'll be on the Twitter. It'll be on. At Podcast the Ride. But we'll, we'll uh, describe what we see. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so, yeah. Like, this says, like, it's an original piece of promo art from Disneyland. So, uh, some people might know where we're going with this. Uh, here is the photo in question. Oh! <laughs> uh, for those uh. listening, uh, uh, for everyone at home and all our ships at sea, you're looking... You're looking at a, a painting of Winnie the Pooh and his common-law wife. Uh, <laughs> they are in front of uh, the castle at Disneyland, and they seem very much in love. <laughs> Winnie is about to motorboat her. He is going in. He's, he's going for, for a jungle honey. cruise. Oh, I was, I was going to go with the proper boat joke. <laughs> so, like, like price-wise, if you were still collecting, like, what do you think something like this might cost, might run? Well, this crosses into two categories. So things become more valuable mm -hmm. if two different types of collectors are going after it. So this is both people who love Disney. Three. Disneyland, Pooh, and erotic art. <laughs> yeah, the furry community is gonna go oh. crazy for that. Oh. Yeah. They're gonna have to uh, outbid the polyamorous community. Yeah. <laughs> to what does this look in his eyes? It's called love, Nikki. That is not oh. love. It's that, that is like you know what I'm about to do. Uh, it's it's that Nala face. It's the Nala. Eye. Is she? I'm sorry. Is she pinching his nipple? <laughs> oh, she is pinching his nipple. Yes. Wow. Uh, uh, it also looks like SNL cast member Jan Hooks. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I, <laughs> I actually think I saw them on YouPorn, actually. Oh, no. Under the, the rare category Pukaki. <laughs> oh. <laughs> really going for it. Uh, for <laughs> Running an exhibit that says family-friendly <laughs> all over it. <laughs> 
only Scott told his family he was going to be on good behavior tonight. The rest yeah, no. of us did not make that promise. Cover your ears, guys. <laughs> so Many things are being discussed. So price-wise, what do we think? On what eBay, on eBay what, would, what do you think it is wait, wait, on eBay, and what would you, you pay? I want to show you how an auction works. Sure. What's the starting bid, Nikki? Mm, $250. $250. $250. Can I hear three? Can I hear three? Oh, that's a $300 piece. Absolutely. $350. Three, three this joke's going to get funnier and funnier. <laughs> I'm going to guess. Now, do numbers. you have a real number? There, yeah, uh, the we next do. slide is the eBay page itself. Where Ooh. would you, go, where would you uh, Richard, what would, what would you be willing to pay or what would you... Uh... Um, personally, I don't collect... <laughs> he has standards, <laughs> please. You have some standards, <laughs> but... You lie very well. Very good. Job. Yeah. Um, and my heart is no longer like this. Have you guys seen Melting Face Snow White downstairs? Yeah. I am in love. It may be the only thing I bid on to get back. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, she means nothing to me. It hasn't gone yet. I think you can take it back, right? No, I wouldn't do that. You That's a slippery seen. slope. Yes. That's a, that, I'm going to say, I love a good guessing game. That's a $3,500 piece of art right there. Wow. Yeah. What's eBay have it at? eBay has it at... Three hundred dollars. Oh, that's a steal! <laughs> Wait, and you can pay monthly. Wait, why is it for twenty-two dollars of shipping? How big is this? <laughs> twenty-two dollars in shipping. Wow. When we do a Patreon, we're going to lose somebody who thinks this is a better deal, <laughs> <laughs> a much better monthly installment plan. Yes. Hey, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. Office Hours Live recorded another episode live. It was one of our great ones with the great Rory Scovel, who's got a new special out on MAX. Oh, yeah. And the Trinity's here. DJ Doug Pound. Yes, hello. And Victor Berger the Fourth. Hi, hi, hi. Can't we, wait for the fifth. We enjoy the heck out of doing the show, and so will you. If you find us on the podcast app of your choice, now. Or you can make an offer. Has anyone done that? They Do you want me to? Your offer. I'll make an oh. offer right now. Okay, wait. <laughs> I'll buy it right now, okay? Oh, you want me to do it? Okay. So make an offer and see if they get back in time. Offer them $263. You were going lower? <laughs> yeah, that's how you make the offer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't. Say, you Did can you buy think it you... now for $300, but I'm about to offer $263, and they're definitely going to go for it. You're hooked up You're to do this, right. Mike? I don't know. We'll we, see. We, I feel like we can't. We, we'll, we don't we'll really update. need to this pause in real time. This will be a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. We'll let you know. And if we oh, get okay. it, we'll all split it collectively. Yes. <laughs> 350 No, I'm planning to pay over 12 months. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to have it on the installment plan. Okay, what else uh, we got? Uh, that, that, well, that, That's it. And I think, actually, <laughs> I, I feel like we should bring up the, the man of the hour. Uh, absolutely. But if there's, any, if there's anything else you'd like to say about, uh, about your, your event here, or any, any way people can uh, can participate or anything you want them to check out in the future? Um, buy, buy, buy. Everything must go. It's a fire sale. The uh, I actually have, before you bring them out, I have a Tony Baxter story. I have two Tony Baxter Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, please. Oh, yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah? So one day somebody sells me a metal plaque from the front of Tomorrowland, the dedication plaque that's in the rock. And it was like, okay, this is really cool. And so I purchased it, and two weeks later, Tony came to visit me in my office. He looks over, he goes, that was stolen out of my office three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
words. Tony. Like all the gentlemen I bought it from and said, I'm not going to ask questions. I want a refund, and this needs to go back to where it came from. Wow. So it went back, and then I think Tony sold it. No, I, don't, I honestly don't know what happened. But the, by far the best Tony Baxter story uh-huh. is the night Tony Baxter and I went to a deserted floor of the Sheraton Universal to meet Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> the air went out of the room. <laughs> My God. So, so Tony could tell the story up to the point that I join it, but he had had multiple meetings with Michael who wanted to hire him, and what he wanted after that was unclear. So, so he brought me in because I'm a talent agent and thought maybe I could negotiate or move the conversation further. So it's just three chairs. Michael Jackson, Tony, and myself, and I start asking questions. I go, so do you want to hire Tony to work for you or start a new company like Imagineering, that kind of a thing? Can you give me the year here, Ben? Um, he can. Okay. I'm, I'm not on. It was before he died. <laughs> so, uh, But what if it was after? <laughs> All I, yeah, all I know is, I can tell you if anyone's a Michael Jackson fan, after we left the meeting, I said, what was that hanging from Michael Jackson's nose? And we realized it was his nose. So it was that era. Yeah. <laughs> that era. That, that's how you tell time in Michael so Jackson. We, uh, I asked if it should be him or are they forming a company? And Michael Jackson said, that's a really good idea. So then I said, is he building <laughs> theme parks or is this for hotels? That's a really good idea. So I went through a list of about seven things and always got the same response, complimenting me on my really good ideas. And uh, I finally thought I'd break the ice a little. This wasn't going well. So I said, uh, so tell me about the first time you went to Disneyland. And he goes, I worked there when I was five years old, which kind of made me sad. No one's first experience at Disneyland should be working. And then I got a little cocky and I said, oh, by the way, uh, I own a Dumbo. And it was the only time in a meeting he looked at me like, I'm Michael Jackson. Do you think I'm impressed by this? (laughs) (laughs) So um, needless to say, nothing came from this meeting except for a great memory and a way to segue to bringing out the man himself. Of course. The man, the, the man himself. Uh, um, okay, well, wait, are we, are we doing a switch off? I think we're doing a switch off. Uh, 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 Richard Nichols, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very much. Thanks Thanks for and thanks for doing... Thanks for putting on this wonderful event and for giving us the opportunity to do what we get to do right now. Let me show you something really fast. Uh, This is a magazine uh, that my mom got me a a subscription to uh, uh, in 1995. I was 10 years old. She knew that I was uh, more interested in theme park stuff than the average kid. Uh, uh, And she she got me this uh, this magazine, the Uh, E-Ticket. Anybody get the E-Ticket? Does anybody go back that far with uh, the... This was a wonderful, like, uh, the fanzine with 
with uh, really cool pictures and interviews with Imagineers, and I loved all of it, but the second one that I ever got absolutely blew my mind because it had this extremely cool interview with a, this Imagineer who was so thoughtful and, and just spoke in such detail about all the, all the care that was put into all of the rides that were blowing my little kid mind from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. When I learned about this guy, that's when I became an incurable <laughs> theme park nerd for life, and that's the person we get to bring out right now. Uh, uh, In case you don't know, the, this this man worked on. Let's list them and li let's li list his greatest hits. Big really Thunder fast. Mountain Railroad, <laughs> Journey into Imagination, Splash Mountain, <laughs> Disneyland Paris, In Star Tours, yeah, Indiana Jones. What else have we got? No, I mean, it's, there's tons more. There, we'll talk about it, though. Ladies and gentlemen, this is like the Mick Jagger of theme park design, okay? When he comes out here, give him a Mick Jagger-like welcome and uproarious applause for Mr. Tony Baxter. Wow. Uh, Tony, just to start us off, you know, we want to thank you for all of your wonderful contributions to Disney and the themed entertainment world at large. But I especially want to thank you for your most important work, your time on Main Street as an ice cream scooper. Is this, yeah, this is working. Uh, <laughs> you know, those were like the, the most fun, really. Yeah. Because you'd come in and you got to be kind of talking with the guests and looking at all the action. And for one year, I actually got to hang around Walt Disney being there. And he would come in like very early in the morning, you know, and drive the truck that you see right downstairs, drive that around the park. Everyone thought he was kind of crazy, but later I found out his brother was uh, a truck driver. And Walt really admired and wished he could do something simple like that, but he could only do it before Disneyland opened. And that was the cool thing about setting up the ice cream window that early in the morning. <laughs> I got to see it. Man, I that's mean, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to just toss you. <laughs> now, you it actually gonna... was fun, you know. You, well, you've uh, by, by saying things that we feel so earnestly about, you have, you have shut down all of our snark brains. We're supposed to be... Yeah. We're supposed to be funny, right. like, snark, sarcastic comedians, but we're like, oh, wow. <laughs> I think I'm back on track. I think I'm back on track. I just want to toss you some quick hardballs. Um, uh, cup or There's cone? There's nothing quick with me. Okay. Uh, do you prefer cup or cone? Cone. Favorite flavor? Uh, chocolate chip. Oh, me too. Great. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I got to qualify that. It's mint chocolate chip. Oh. Okay. Very popular. That uh, is now Jason's favorite. <laughs> yeah. Preferred toppings? Toppings? Uh, the kind of chocolate that hardens that you used to get at Frosty Freeze. I, oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 Uh, and do you have any brand loyalties for ice cream? Any fun? Yes. Thrifty, because if you go... Yeah. If you go in there and ask for medieval madness, it's actually the nougat taste from inside a Three Musketeers bar. Awesome. 
Oh. Really awesome. Wow. I mean, that's an amazing tip. All right. Uh, <laughs> really, it's good. That's all of my questions. Gentlemen, if you'd like to take it from here. You wanted to know about Disney, right? <laughs> At some point in That's time, not, we'll yeah, get yeah. to that stuff. Well, so, um, all right, so you were one of the people who achieved the dream of uh, uh, you know, starting doing uh, uh, you know, just like smaller jobs at Disneyland, and you worked your way all the way up, the way up to uh, Imagineering. Um, we know about the we know about the the time at Carnation. Um, uh, any other rides you you worked on? Oh yeah, I mean, I dreamed of getting out of Carnation to do the rides, but really, I mean, working in the food service, you didn't have the responsibility of people's lives, you know, that you do when you're working a ride. All of a sudden, they hand you this controller, and like, if someone's clothing snags in that you know grill down there you better shut it off right away before it pulls their clothes off or something like that you know and you go oh okay or in the submarine ride if somebody panics and they run for the hatches it's going under the waterfall that's a bad thing you know so all of a sudden the dream idea of how much fun it would be to work those rides and it was but you you really couldn't let your guard down you had to really sure was there is there one you'd be like too afraid to to work on if given if you were assigned yeah well not afraid but I'm not, believe it or not, I'm talking pretty glibly now, but the thought of working the Jungle Cruise scared me to death, and I never did. I never did. How come? I don't know. I can do memorization, like, for centuries. Man had but his own two eyes to explore the universe within a single snowflake. And now the mighty microscope. Yeah, I can do that by heart. But Jungle, not a word. Oh, wow, gotcha. Now, you, well, that's, you worked at uh, Adventures Through Inner Space. Yeah, for a whole summer I saw everything. Jeez. And then, you know, not to jump around too much, but you were, you're running that ride, and then a couple decades later you are replacing oh, that yeah. ride yeah. Uh, with, <laughs> a, with, an, with a little attraction called Star Tours. Yeah, and you can believe all the people that wrote in about their life being changed by inner space or their life being created in inner space <laughs> or a lot of <laughs> things like that that, you know... Made it very difficult to take it out. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, those things have a high back. They kind yeah. of like hide like, whatever's going on. Uh, like, like now, like in this era, like people online get very upset if Tower of Terror gets turned into Guardians of the Galaxy. But like, was it the same way back then where people oh, were yeah, upset? I, it was actually worse because we had never gone to the outside for this overused word that you hear every day now, IP, two letters actually, IP. And so everything had been Disney, 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 Disney. And we were all sort of faced with the fact that the last really stunning animated film had been like Jungle Book back in Walt's time. And the rest were pleasant, but they were more for kids. And so that that thing where it really bridged like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, you know, young people went date, people would go on dates, everything. That hadn't that hadn't happened yet. So, you know, you looked at who was really where the population, the young people of 1978 to 1985, that was all Lucas Spielberg stuff, you know. So um, I drew the the long straw, I guess, a short straw. And I said, someone's got to go over to the studio and tell them Disneyland's going to be hurting. 
if this generation of kids doesn't see the things they grew up with, all the action toys, all that stuff. So the, Ron was good. This was Ron Miller, who was uh, son-in-law to Walt, uh, said, well, why don't we have a meeting up at uh, the Silverado Vineyards, and I'll have George Lucas come over, and we'll talk about it. Well, if you can imagine being a kid from Orange County who works scooping ice cream, and I'm now at the Silverado Vineyards, and a BMW comes up with George Lucas in it. Diane is just in Disney is serving the potato salad and says, oh, there's plenty more where that came from, so don't be bashful. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, does it get any better than this? You know? Wow. Uh, that brings up a question, you know, not to uh, fawn over you too much, but I would <laughs> say you are uh, the most influential uh, voice of the latter 20th century when it comes to theme design and entertainment. Do you think Michael Eisner's son, <laughs> Brett Eisner, <laughs> is number two? Applause, please. No. <laughs> no. I, you know, it's it really is a team effort, you know, so like... Yeah. I think you gotta you gotta think of the leadership as people and, and their success or failure is how well they're able, like a director of uh, in music or anything else, to uh, inspire a whole group of people to take the ball and run with it further. Because I mean, you can have but millions. Everybody has dreams of rides. You guys never ideas, have ideas for new rides or anything. Mm, uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's it's really assembling the incredible range of people that can make good ideas or bad ideas mm -hmm. come true. Yeah. Um, well, you, Jason, you were, I think what you oh, were driving yeah. to. Uh, I derailed so, it that time. See, I can do it too. Uh, <laughs> so if you're number one, does that make Michael Eisner's son, Breck Eisner, number two? Because well, it seemed like, I mean, the stories are that like he would rubber stamp a lot of those rides. Well, I was very lucky. I mean, you got to realize, Michael was real. The first 10 years of Michael Eisner with Frank Wells, best 10 years I've ever worked at Disney, really. These two guys were hands-on. They were in our face every week. And when Michael came over the first day, he said, I don't know anything about this business. So I've brought my 14-year-old here, Breck, and he's going to tell me whether the ideas that you're going to show us are any good or not. <laughs> so... Uh, your first thought is, my career depends on a 14-year-old. <laughs> and then, think about this. What is our audience at Disneyland? You know, And I'm about to pitch Star Wars as a ride, and I'm about to talk about Splash Mountain. So, to give my brain some recovery time to think about how do I pitch Splash Mountain, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, all of that. That's not 14-year-old fodder. So, I went with Star Wars, and I talked the whole thing through, and the end of it. Now, I gave it in a way that a 14-year-old would like it, rather than my normal pitch that's for executives, you know, where everything has got to be, this has a throughput of over 1,600 an hour, and at that rate, we'll do 24,000 in a day if we're operating from 8 in the morning until midnight. No, it was like, this is so cool. And you know how it felt when you were going down in the trench? And I'm, the pilot's going to go, I've always wanted to do this. And then down there you go, and you feel the whole thing. And Breck says, Wow, Dad, that's, that's incredible. We've got to do that. So Michael says, okay, we're doing that. What else do you have? <laughs> and then I went, okay, how do I pitch lovable bear rabbit and silly old bear bear to a 14-year-old? Well, you do the tallest, steepest drop that's ever been imagined and then hidden in the dark, something no one's done before where you go down a dip and then unlike boats anywhere, the boats go back up and, and like a roller coaster. 
and we get done with the whole thing and he goes dad that's even better than Star Wars <laughs> so he goes okay we're doing that and, and, and Michael says so that'll be open the Star Wars one next year and then splash after that and then a, a management came in and, and gave him a dose of reality <laughs> <laughs> But in an ideal world, those happen like they open the same day or something, like if there was uh, limitless money. He would have loved that. But when he found out, no, it would take three years for Star Wars and five years for uh, then, he said, he looked at Frank and said, who's the hottest person in Hollywood today? Frank says, Michael Jackson. He goes, get Michael. Let's get, who's the best director? Coppola. Get Coppola. Bring George in to produce it. And then he looked at all of us and he said, you can't tell me we won't have a movie out there in a year because I make movies. <laughs> so, wow. 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 Also, to that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, if you followed uh, Francis Ford Coppola's career in the 80s, uh, it was just uh, him making a movie, going bankrupt, making a movie, going bankrupt. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it is true. Uh, do you have, did you, what did you, did you do stuff on Captain EO as well? Like, did you, or did you advise on it or did you have any? Well, that's where I met Michael Jackson. We actually created three scenarios. One was a science fiction that became Captain EO. Another was a fairy tale. And I think the third one was kind of an Indiana Jones-like adventure, you know, thing. And Michael just sort of right away said, I want to do a space film. I want to be, you know, Luke Skywalker. And sure. so that's, that's how that happened. And my life was changed forever. Uh, <laughs> I just remember we filmed that at Culver Studios over in um, Culver City. And Michael, to get himself up out of a very, he's very calm in real life was and when we were on the set he would turn the, the sound up to like so deafening loud you know deafening and then he would just become a different person under that but I, I'm really shocked that he never had a hearing problem I'm sure he would have if he if he lived actually yeah do you now do you uh, dispute anything about uh uh, Richard's story about you and Michael Jackson or do you have anything uh, anything else? No, but he only told you the end of the story. You got 30 minutes to go into the beginning. <laughs> no, I mean, I remember sitting with him eating bubble gum and he had one of those 120 packs of double bubble and he had called Pretty me. Pretty normal. Go on. Yeah, he, he called me. Uh, but he was, he was really, I said, it's very important that to do this work, to kind of be in this industry and look at Richard, he'd probably agree. You have to maintain some of your 12-year-old self. And Michael was kind of cheated out of a childhood. So uh, as an adult, he was trying to recapture that. So he's eating the bubble gum while he's having me go through four cassettes in a boom box. He was recording everything to know about building an Indiana Jones ride, you know, and, and it would get to the end and go, stop, stop, and then he'd put, you know, Tony Baxter's side one and then turn it over and then, okay, we're ready to go, but he only chewed the gum until the sweet went out, and then he'd wrap it in the comic. Wow. I used on. to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, uh, so, uh, well, we, you know what we haven't talked about? You, you know, you talk about getting IP into the, into the parks, but you... Uh, created one of the most beloved original uh, uh, Disney uh, attractions that was not previously in a movie or TV show, and we're, we're talking about Figment and Dream. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those of you have, who have only been down to Epcot since 2000 and ridden the sham of an attraction that's there, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. We weren't going to yeah. go that far, but now that we know yeah. that that's on well, I think even the company knows that, so... Uh, we know. You know, I don't know, but, well, you know, it was a beautiful attraction that talked about this process that every single person does, and that's they gather input. You're gathering it right now. You're storing it. 
some way or another, and you will use it to combine with all the things you know to create new things. And uh, it was a very inclusive thing. The Sherman Brothers captured that thought with the one little spark song. And the only thing that was missing was the name of our dragon, which you've probably all heard the story, but I was home one night and we, Dreamfinder came out of, just quickly, he's a guy that finds dreams, so he's the Dreamfinder. The dragon, what is that going to be? And uh, one night I was watching Magnum P.I. and Magnum had put a goat in the garden which ate all of the plants and the foliage and the old butler came in mad as hell and said, what is going on out there? And, and Magnum, to calm him down, just said, oh, it must be a figment of your imagination. And the butler looked at him and said, figments don't eat grass. And I just sat there for a minute and went, well, what do they look like and what do they eat? And then it just popped. It said, you know, isn't it obvious? So I, the next day I grabbed the little carved figure we had, the model, and I s put it on the desk in front of our whole team, and I said, meet Figment. And everybody looked at me and they said, how, how did we not? <laughs> I mean, that is, it's so obvious. And what's cool about it, you can try this on your phone when this is over, write in the word figment, Google the word figment, and then push images. And every single image for pages and pages is figment. Now that's an English word that's been around for 500 years, and now we own it. And that's what I call, <laughs> I call that valuable mental real estate. Is there, uh, like, uh, when I was a child, and we share this, and I think everyone in the audience, when we were children and we went on this ride, figment felt like he, he was your best friend. Maybe, no, no one feels that? <laughs> Uh-oh. So, I, like, when you're thinking of Figment, do you have a fondness for him in that way, or do you identify with him? Like, when you were make, creating him, was it like, I want to make some, like, the perfect best friend for, I guess, me, is really what I'm asking. <laughs> like, what was your thought, and, like, is he, what qualities will he have? Like, like, what was an overall, like, kind of philosophy? You were the, you were the perfect age audience for it. Um, you know, we had very serious people that had passed the gates of childhood and sort of given up that 12-year-old, they would go, I don't get it, I don't get it. The movie I love is big. And you can watch this dynamic between Tom Hanks, who's an adult with a 12-year-old's mind, uh, giving a pre or in a presentation where this guy is talking about facts and figures and extending the penetration of this product to the 14-year-old level and all that. And Tom is playing with it and going, you know, and raises his hand, yes. Well, I don't get it. What's fun about turning a building into a robot? And the guy goes, didn't you read your charts and all that? So, you know, the dilemma was children just caught it right away. And the dynamic of Dreamfinder being kind of a Santa Claus or a knowledge figure who's lovable and benign and this child who just is drinking it all up. And after like two minutes of uh, one thing, he's on to something else. And it, it was an extraordinary combination of two perfectly balanced comedians. I think the problem now is you've got two wacky people. You've got Eric Idle and Figment. So they don't, you can't play off. It's not like Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy or Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis or Figment and Dreamfinder. It's Figment and Figment, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> you know, so it was a perfect combination. And you can't believe the, the letters we still get. And, and it's your age group that's kept it alive. So keep those letters coming because the, the, Marvel took a gamble and did 15 episodes and they were hugely successful. They went hardbound, which doesn't often happen with a standalone. Yeah. Oh, they are, the they're, comic you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. The comic is really, has anybody yeah. read it? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I did have a question about that. So, like, Figment, uh, 
Dreamfinder, everyone knows. Hold on, this will work eventually. We have right? audio visual. I'm we do if it would yes. work. Except your your your. Uh, let me uh, while Mike's figuring that out. Um, so you you mentioned the the sham version. Uh, so what Jeez. happened? Like, why did that? Did you tell happen? me what happened? <laughs> oh, it's one of those scenarios. No. I see. No, I mean it was very clear that it was to be an inclusive thing. I mean, so many kids grow up with their parents saying, "What's wrong with you? Aren't you imaginative? You got to work. You know, come up with some idea to do on your own." Well, so if that's drummed into everyone, and if you if the goal of high school is to beat the twelve-year-old out of you and make you a productive adult without childlike thoughts. I mean, I don't know what I would have done to create all the things I've created if I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be, as you said, that kid going on that ride and having the, the appeal and the emotional connection to the characters and the scenes involved. So, you know, this is a, a danger we have in our school system. So the, the, the new one, I think, sort of reflects a more adult attitude. And if you can explain to me what an upside-down toilet on the ceiling and learning how a skunk smells improve your imagination, it would help me a lot because I, for one, can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Comedy was very interesting in the 90s. <laughs> I guess That's so. all as I can... Uh, uh, so, so, yeah, so Dreamfinder, this is, this is what he, uh, Tapo appeared on the ride, and then this is... Uh, so, this, so in his original incarnation, he was this sort of jolly Santa Claus. I was wondering, how do you feel about the change they made to the, in the Marvel comics to make him a whole lot sexier? <laughs> Like look, like look at look at this man. <laughs> this is a very handsome man, and it's just—I mean, I think it's good. I just—how well, did you feel Have as dreaming? Have you ever interviewed anyone from People Magazine about what covers sell best? That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. The, the stories are sweet and charming inside. Mm -hmm. See, mm -hmm. so if no. they made Eric Idle's Dr. Nigel Channing a super hunk, <laughs> maybe that would help. More appealing on on some level. But sure. I think you know the idea of the stories where it's kind of going back to the origin stories. Right. But I, I would love to see a Figment animated feature film, the Figment movie. We all want it. No. This whole we want this. There's a streaming service coming out, and this is a perfect place for a TV show about Figment. So somebody out in like the audience make idea. this happen. So maybe there's someone from Disney out there who can... I mean, literally, if you had the IP where you push a word on Google and every image of it the Disney company owns, why wouldn't you do something with it? I don't get that. It's funny. This might be a place where Breck Eisner could help again because... <laughs> Do you all know, I don't know if we've ever brought this up on the podcast, Breck Eisner went on to direct the movie The Last Witch Hunter starring Vin Diesel, and he's currently an executive producer on The Expanse, the next season coming soon to Amazon. This would be perfect. Well, you have a phone there that you're looking all this stuff up on? I don't... I, not for that not part. Not yet. You had Breck facts. Right? That's, we have it all committed yeah. to memory, Breck's career. Uh... So can I, can I ask about uh, here? We're talking about uh, stuff in Epcot Center, and then uh, we in uh, here in California almost got a, a West Coast version of Epcot Center oh. called Westcott, and uh, and you were I, well, I don't know your position, but you were sort of uh, supervising that that project. Yeah, we had we were actually kind of pitting Long Beach against Anaheim. We developed the Disney Sea project, which sort of saw the light of day because most of it you can visit over in Tokyo. So Tokyo Disney. Disney Sea became the outgrowth of Long Beach Disney Sea. How many days would you recommend? <laughs> um, 
Okay. All right, so this is a running feature on the show. Just to explain it real quick, not take up too much time, where the three I of have us... no idea. The three of us are split. Uh, we've never been to Tokyo. Mike's going in September. We're going in September. I said... So there was a night at a, my birthday, and, and we had a, had a couple drinks, nothing crazy, and I said, my girlfriend Lindsay and I are going to Tokyo, for, and we're going to stay three days. And Scott got very riled up, and he said, no, two days is right. And I said, well, that's just one extra day. And he was like, no, why do you have to go an extra day? And I was like, and then we got into kind of an argument about it. And then we talked to Jason and Jason said, four, four days. Four days. Which I... Because you need to explore the hotels and then you got to walk around and appreciate the design. I've been uh, beaten down on this point and I'm willing to accept whatever answer. But, uh, but your official answer for a uh, Tokyo Disney trip. My official answer without a guide and without extreme amount of fast passes, I would say four days. All right. Oh, my God. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, Jason always wins. Uh, Officially shamed. I uh, so all of that that's, has, that's what it takes, Tony. All Bates. of that has nothing to do with Westcott. No, it doesn't. Oh, no, we got way off the point. No. What I what I wanted to say uh, about Westcott because you know we uh, we can't we can't talk about every facet of it, but if you could tell us wh- what is the single thing that that your ideal version of Westcott might have had that would make us the most jealous that we don't get to experience it. Well, I mean, we had the longest ride that had ever been done, a 45-minute cruise called World Cruise. Oh. Imagine 40 uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean with dips, all kinds of audiomatronics, and five stations in the four corners of the world, as well as future world. And so you'd learn about each quarter of the world, and then you'd have a chance to disembark or stay on through the whole thing or ride it all day like the train around Disneyland. But knowing that we didn't want to make it boring, we put we made sure we had a thrill part and some audiomatronics in each of the four five segments. So that was pretty cool. The other part you can kind of get a feeling for, which was going to be the four corners of the world had four mega hotels that actually formed the berm because we're so landlocked there that we built up these fairly large hotels that were all themed and kind of cascaded down to kind of the look that you have in World Showcase around the front end of it. So people are living kind of up in the back and playing in swimming pools on the roofs of the mid-level area and then on down into the day-to-day park visitors in the front and you know while we didn't do that I think someone in Las Vegas thought it was a pretty cool idea because about half of it if you drive down the strip now is kind of like very different from the the Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin Vegas of the past Um, and a lot of that happened just after we kind of put the thing to bed it's wild. Oh, I, I have that. Oh, you don't go ahead. I was just gonna say that's that is the one thing that I I would I would I don't know what I would sell or what organ I would give up to have Westcott exist. I am so <laughs> I see that picture with the golden sphere and it's that that is what dreams are made of. <laughs> uh, that's all I have to say. I I heard a rumor uh, and. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, was there also talk of putting an adventurers club in downtown Disney out here? Got me on that one. Uh, no, I don't oh, know anything about interesting. it. Interesting. Uh, um, I have another uh, question where I'm hoping you can uh, provoke some some jealousy uh, uh, in us. Uh, I, I I am curious if you w- with with your status at, the, at this point in time. 
with the with the Walt Disney Company. If you went to Disneyland right now after this, what is the place that you would have access to that we would we would be the most jealous that you could walk in there? The Thirty Three Club. Oh, yeah. You know what's good about it? You don't have to wait to eat now. With a new lounge, you can go in and sit down and have a, a nice meal. Not the full-on one that's in the, the main dining room, but a hamburger and stuff like that. That's wow. just waiting for you in a nice air-conditioned mm. space. That's very, very cool. Jeez, mm -hmm. I'm jealous. Yep. Yep. Mission accomplished. Is is I have like some just like uh, f like logistical questions. Like you've worked for Disney so long. If you want to go to say Disney Sea or obviously go back to Disneyland Paris, is there a you don't have like an annual pass, right? Are you kidding? You <laughs> the Disney Company we're talking about. You make like no. a call, right? I make really good friends that invite me on their trips to go over to those places to be their tour guide. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, I did that to see all three. I'd been to Tokyo, but to get into uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai, someone said, I can't imagine anyone better to be able to go around and talk about philosophy and all that stuff. So I said, I'm your man, you know? And so sure. that was how I, I, I really saw those two parks. So it was oh, great, okay. great opportunity. So you kept your Rolodex, but had to give back your badge and gun. No, I, <laughs> hey, you never give back your badge. I think somewhere in the, oh, my, my cards are in the car, but... Uh, no, I still can get in here. You know, that, okay. that doesn't go away. Sure. Sure, sure. Um, could, real quick, uh, talk quick about Splash Mountain. And, and our friend Scott here um, has a situation with Splash Mountain. I don't want to embarrass him, but he's talked about it on the podcast, so it's like common knowledge. He hasn't been on Splash Mountain in how many years? Uh, it's something like 17, 18, uh, uh, something like that. Uh, look, I don't, I don't love a steep drop. Uh, <laughs> so you wouldn't be friends with Breck then? No, I couldn't. <laughs> Boy, would I have blown it if I had pitched to you. <laughs> you would have been responsible for Splash Mountain not existing if you were Michael Eisner's son, Scott. <laughs> What if it was just a gentle bayou trip that where nothing went wrong? Um, uh, uh, but can you offer Scott some encouragement? He has to go back on Splash Mountain. It's a wonderful ride. Uh, where that it is? I watch the videos. That's uh, that I something. can't think of any ride more comfortable on a day like today than Splash Mountain. And the whole idea is, yes, you're going to be apprehensive for a full 10 minutes, but then after you drop, you've got three minutes of pure pleasure with the song zippity doo -dah playing in your ears. I... Well, you got to go on it now. Come on. Uh, yeah, I think so. That, that's, that's enough encouragement. Uh, um, <laughs> we'll I immediately uh, turn on it when we actually... Nope, not doing it. Uh, <laughs> are there, Tony, are there any rides or like types of rides that you won't go on ever? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, teacups. Oh, really? Really? I, I like to spin it to where... I don't think you can anymore. They kind of put brakes on them, but... When I was a kid, you could spin it, and the, the effect you got was it was tipping over. It was so fast, it felt like instead of going like this, it was starting to go like that, and the whole world was going by. I can't do that anymore. Even I went on Incredicoaster the other night, and um, the last time for me, too, for 
it, it, it sort of settles into a ring thing at the end of the ride after yeah. you've done all the fun parts. I don't mind loops or anything, but it then goes into this. And when I came into the end of that, beads of sweat, you know, and I, uh, no, 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 no. Oh. But a giant sensations. You were freaked out by the uh, the Skyway, Bucky. You got sense memory even sitting in the Skyway. Downstairs. When I was yes, we were sitting in the Skyway bucket downstairs, and I remembered. I, it's not the same one I was in when I was a child, but uh, that terrified me when I was five. Uh huh. So don't say I'm I don't know person uh, on the stage. That's I'm weird because you know for little kids, I mean they're not even fully developed, two and three year olds. The fascination of changing their point of view from like close up to being above looking down was always like it was really fun to ride with them because they were just they didn't know how to comprehend it, you know. Right. So I, I guess you were too old at five. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I'm like a goat. I like to be on the highest possible elevation. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because one of your, you were sad to lose the goats at Disneyland, which is like. Oh, one of, yeah. Let's not even get into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Like when the goats went away because they, they got rid of Big Thunder Ranch. The, the Big Thunder oh, Ranch. Oh, okay. Goats. Um, yeah, Jason would always love because the goats would run toward the end of the end of the day and they would run them backstage. And that was the thing that Jason was most upset when they were talking about Star Wars Land being built is that the goats were going away. And that is a true story. There's no joke to it. <laughs> uh, you made a ride with a goat in it. Uh, <laughs> I did. Yeah. But you know what? Steve. Wow. The goat has been usurped from its prime, prime place because everybody at that moment has two seconds exactly to study the new developments in Galaxy's Edge, you know? <laughs> and you look the other way, which gives you an entirely different effect than looking in towards the goat. Wow. So in 10 years, people will be uh, giving the goat his due uh, uh, once again. I guess so. Uh, um, now, so, I mean, I was, I was curious about that. We, we saw uh, an old video uh, on YouTube where you're talking about uh, how people think that Disneyland uh, doesn't ha is, is small and doesn't have a lot of room for expansion. But in 1984, you're saying, well, there's that corner up there uh, above Frontierland. And, and, you know, that's a prime piece of real estate to do something. Something's happening there now. <laughs> Pretty big project. Uh, um, uh, and you're one of the people primarily responsible for getting Star Wars into the parks. How, how, how do you feel? What do, how are you excited about Galaxy's Edge? Are you? Um oh, yeah, I mean, um, who wouldn't be? I mean, and it's starting to look fantastic. Except one of the views looks just like the Big Thunder Mountain in Florida. So I hope they keep it gray, <laughs> so it doesn't. <laughs> which one is Big Thunder? Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I mean, because I told you my story about being up there and, and George drove up in a little BMW. Hi, guys. Eating potato salad, and I'm sitting there. And, and if you'd ever thought that day, I mean, you know, we faced about a year of real public backlash about bringing, you know, somebody else's mythology. Disney's always been Disneyland, Disneyland, not Lucasland or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, all the people that make movies, whether they make them for Disney or for 20th Century Fox or whatever, are their own directors, their own producers. And so that the day of Walt Disney being the creator is kind of over. So you've got, you know, hopefully we can have them made under our banner, but at the time we weren't, so we had to go to the outside. So if you had told me then that we were gonna own the uh, Lucasfilm, 
as well as Marvel, as well as Pixar. Uh, no way would you you believe that. You know, it just couldn't. Oh, now Fox, I guess. Um, so Spider Man, welcome. You know. Um, anyway, you know, it, it's it's all good. I think that you know the question is, you know, I think the attractions are going to be great. The area looks terrific already. You can kind of see, and uh, but there is still a lot of room at Disneyland that people don't know about. I was in a presentation just yesterday looking at um, things that people would not really know we still have available. So don't think it's all done, you know. Wow. Wow. That's a crazy tease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where would it go? <laughs> is it underground? <laughs> um, uh, back to Big Thunder. Big Thunder, I realized a couple years, is like my low-key favorite ride. I didn't realize it, but like I go on it every time. I love it. And I was realizing like that... There are no human audio animatronics on it. So there's animals and stuff. And I feel like it's a different experience than going on Auto Mansion or Pirates because it's like you're not as observing as much as you're experiencing. I was wondering, like, was that by design or were there ever plans to, like, put a robot old prospector at the end of it? Well, you know, it's funny because Mark... Davis, who is the genius behind like Pirates and Haunted Mansion figures, and as well as some of the greatest films you've ever done, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, he tended towards that. So when Walt died, you got Mark Davis attractions that were characterized by being nothing but figures like a Country Bear Jamboree and, and uh, uh, America Sings. And Claude, who was my mentor, was a background painter. He did Pinocchio and Lady and the Tramp and many of the films that we love dearly for the environments as well as the characters. And I, I think I grew up being a scenic background painter in, in uh, Long Beach State. Anyone go to Long Beach State? I learned my trade there. And, uh, you know, so I kind of gyrated more to the backgrounds like Claude. And it was funny, Claude's rides after Walt passed were like Adventure Through Inner Space. And if you had wings, uh, the Delta uh, Dreamflight things and things like that, where it was more about the background. So I guess I'd characterize myself as a background person. So Big Thunder, Indiana Jones, rides like that tend to feature more the environmental aspects of it because... One of my feelings about Disneyland is it's more about you being the star going into the worlds created in these, in these things. The best one, the simplest one, Peter Pan. One line of dialogue that's important, and that is, come on, everybody, here we go. And Ray Bradbury, I love this thing. I tell it every time, so I'm going to have to do it now. Ray wrote Walt after getting off that ride a postcard, and it said, Walt, I'll be eternally grateful. Today, I flew out of a child's bedroom window in a pirate galleon over London on my way to the stars. And if you think about that room, it's probably not as big as the space we're in now. I can't see anything. But it's really tiny. And yet, the imagination that's still generated there right now, at this moment, there's 45 minutes worth of people waiting to get on that ride. Okay? So, it does something right. You know, really right. And that's um, because it puts you in the perspective of being the star. The worst kind of rides, I think, are where we sit back benign and watch the characters from a film tell their story without inviting you into it, you know? Right on. 
Um, you know, you mentioned intellectual property and, and bringing in Star Wars, getting backlash for bringing in outside intellectual property. And now I feel like it's kind of shifted where pretty much every new ride has some sort of, if not the company's intellectual property, a licensed intellectual property. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts? Boy, I don't know. The cost differential between building Big Thunder, Star Tours, and even Splash Mountain compared to Galaxy's Edge, Cars Land, and Pandora in Florida, it's it's just astronomically more. And so what that means is a company, you know, again, is management oriented and the risk reduction to make those kind of, if Big Thunder had failed, it, it would have been, a, you, you know, it would have built the pre-show area for Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> anyway, you know, so, you know, the, it gives management a comfort zone to know, hey, this movie made $500 million in the first week. Uh, you know, everyone's going to go crazy to see it. So um, all of us love the challenge of building them both ways. I mean, if you look at, Figment and Dreamfinder, we created IP. In Indiana Jones, I dearly loved getting to work with that IP. That was my favorite Lucas character ever. And so, like, working in that was just as much fun as creating Figment. But I wish we could find the confidence level to invest like that. That's why I say, wouldn't it be great to do a Figment movie? And then, out, if it was successful, that would certainly justify going back in and making that a great ride again, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that might that might bring us to our our next point because um, we, uh, you know, the whole uh, point of this podcast, we're uh, comedians or writers or something. And uh, but the, this whole am I holding my own against your comedy genius? Huh? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. There's some, there's some proof right there. Uh, uh, but you know, it, I mean, the whole thing is that we're we're trying to get out of the game and into your game, the the Imagineering game. And we, you know, we we in an amateur sense l do like to think about rides from time to time and just kind of backseat drive. If we had the keys to the kingdom, what what kind of ride could we mm -hmm. come up with? And we actually we do have an idea that might do some of what you're saying, which is bringing a old Disney property uh, uh, back to light in an interesting way and uh, um, I don't know would, would you would you mind if this is a nice high pressure situation where I think we could prove we have what it takes my to gosh is it would you let me present an idea for Knott's Berry Farm then <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> really I'm not kidding what do I do at night I sit around with my friends and we conjure up ways to fix Knott's Berry Farm you know? wow Wow. That was... That's similar. I had a question I was thinking of, like, when you're watching TV and you're watching, like, say, Seinfeld, are you thinking, like, what would be a good Seinfeld ride? No, because I mostly watch movies. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, so... This might, this might be uh, up your alley, and just pretend that we are in a boardroom at Imagineering and give us your, give us your, uh, your honest thoughts. If you think it's cool, if you think it's feasible. So, you look... Maybe the 12-year-old creative kid or the 50-year-old manager? <laughs> Ooh, the latter. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So this is an IP. Uh, I don't think it's, I mean, I don't like to think of it as old. You know, it's a franchise Disney owns. It's about a team of people that are pretty super and it starts with an A. I think everyone probably knows what I'm talking about after I tease that. Of course, I'm saying it's the Apple Dumpling yeah, Gang. Dumpling Gang. Uh, we all knew it. Uh, and look, we know... Someone all we in the audience that knows we were talking about this movie just three days ago. <laughs> Whoa, really? Well, that's we crazy. We talking about it three days ago. <laughs> so we know the plot. We all know the plot. Uh, Bill Bixby, he's forced to adopt three children, uh, forcibly ad adopting children who discover gold. We know it. We all know it. Uh, <laughs> So we I, I, look. We know from watching, you know, countless hours of Imagineering interviews that you want to make a great ride that like really lets you experience what happens in the movie. So on this ride, you will be made to forcibly adopt three children, <laughs> and there'll be three child actors. It'll be a lot like the Great Movie Ride. Mm -hmm. Actors on board your ride vehicle. There hasn't been one of those in a while. So like, so like, this is happening to you. The forced adoptions are happening to you. <laughs> Okay, now it's of course that iconic... So it's interactive, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yes. You can talk to the actors. We'd have to hire some pretty good improv people, but I think this is a Improv, of improv children. Improv <laughs> children. So, you know, we want this thing that's going to... They gonna can only work four hours, you know. With the <laughs> it's going to be a little expensive. So it's going to be, you know, kind of a roller coaster type situation. Uh, like, you know, we want it to sort of... <laughs> be like this and we want it to be as massive as the franchise the apple dumpling gang is so we're going to need a lot of space have you prorated the the gross up to $2018 so we know what it's that would have been a good thing to do <laughs> it's 4.5 billion dollars that's what i thought so it really Major. makes sense yeah. really so we want to make kind of maybe the biggest roller coaster ever so this roller coaster will start at Knott's Berry Farm <laughs> Gee, you know what that is? That was going to be the monorail track when we had certain ideas for Knott's Berry Farm, actually. Oh, mm. there could have been a monorail. You saw our drawings, didn't you? Well, good ideas never go away at Imagineering, <laughs> we've been told. So, look, this is going to take you over the, the rough and rugged terrain of Buena Park, Illinois. California. California. Why did I say Illinois? You hayseed, you can't get your home. <laughs> That's where I'm head. from, I'm sorry. Horse of Abbott. Another uh, part of Buena Park, California, the Rock and Brews. Where's Portello's hot dogs? Oh, oh. I, I love Portillo's. I grew up right by a Portillo's. It's my favorite restaurant. Please don't get him started on Portillo's hot dogs. <laughs> but we have, a, we have a note from Tony already. He added the, the car has to do a stop at Portillo's and you got to get the kids some hot dogs. Done. Money out of your pocket. Done. Easy. Uh, so this, of course, there's going to be four seats in the car, three for the children. So the capacity is 20 people per hour. That's almost equal to the void. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of our friends at the void, oh, please do. have us back for the Ghostbusters one. <laughs> uh, so this minecart will will ro will rollick its way through the Buena Park and then onto the five. <laughs> so is that caption having a ball at Disneyland? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
The, uh, so yeah, so it's going to careen. It'll join the carpool lane for a couple minutes. Uh, and then it shoots over into New Orleans Square. Uh, and also, quick thing, we're going to have to retheme New Orleans Square and call it Apple Dumpling Square. Uh, and we're also going to have to lose uh, Haunted Mansion and Pirates. Uh, but the new land is going to be great. There's going to be a lot of great food offerings like apples, apples. and dumplings. And, and that's it. That's it. Um, and, and here's the thing. Here's the most exciting thing about all of it. It's going to launch a new franchise for Disney coming in 2019. ADG. Ride or die. Ride or die. Starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and original cast member Tim Conway. I was just listening to Tim's junior on the radio. Maybe he would do it. and you'd That'd be fantastic. Him, yeah. Do you think he, would he maybe want to commit to being on a ride vehicle every day for? As long as he could uh, do the horse races from the ride vehicle, I think it'd be fine. You can get a phone on there. You can be checking that. Uh, um, yeah, and that's basically it. And if, if you don't like that IP, we can always use... Oh, yeah. I mean, we know stuff is, you know, there's lots of secret stuff at Imagineering that may already be allocated for another park. So we have a, a backup. The ride is exactly the same, except the theming is... I don't have a slide for this. Slide oh, for okay. That. It's the no-mobile. <laughs> the no it becomes the no-mobile if, uh, if we can't use Apple Dumpling Gang. So that's the pitch. Uh, 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 thoughts, next steps? You guys wanted me to be sort of serious, right? And then you gave me, okay. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. We're I, curious. I'll talk about the good things. I mean, apple dumplings, I mean, they go back to Snow White. So that's pure Disney, right? Apple dumplings. Dwarfs love them. Everybody loves them. Great. So that's a positive, all right? The theming is consistent with both Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland, right? I so together. It actually improves both parks. It elevate, they have a ghost town already. It leaves That's from right. There. That's yeah. right. So, you know, it's got some positive things. You know, putting on my other hat, the capacity hat, the gross per... <laughs> Per film. I mean, maybe it sold a lot of DVDs. It's been out there for a long time. <laughs> Who owns the DVD? You know, does anyone own? Help us, Scott. Everyone, come sure. on. Okay, you can they buy movies it. on your phone now. So yeah. everyone can pull up iTunes on your yeah. phone and buy, 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 and who buy knows? The Apple Double Gang and also that, That's the answer. If you can get the thing up to like $500 million in a month. The studio is going to say, my God, we've been sitting on a gold mine here. Great. And now you got them in your pocket. All you need is somebody who can speak your pitch with a British accent, and it'll be sold. Wow. The British accent is all it takes? That'll, like, dress it up? That way, if you don't know what's being pitched, at least it sounds intelligent, you know? <laughs> you know? We will start taking some dialect courses, and uh, yeah, I mean Hugh Jackman. It's not British, but it's Australian. Uh, Ewan McGregor. All of these people. Why are they stars? You know. We have a, a fan, uh, a listener in the audience from Australia. Maybe he would do it. <laughs> we'll talk to you later when we. I think we're going to eagerly. I converted my GPS to speak Australian because I like. I go, my God, my GPS speaker is so intelligent. You know, <laughs> he knows where we're going. You know, so <laughs> you trust that guy. So it's I'm what I'm hearing is a maybe. 
It's somewhere in the hinterlands. The, the difficulty is always getting out of the meeting without ruining people's lives. <laughs> that brings up a question I had. Uh, I know all jobs get heated. Um, like, how heated did it ever get it? Did anyone ever throw a chair at you? How do you know that? <laughs> I yeah. think you've talked about it on another podcast. Uh-oh, did I do that? Maybe. <laughs> I, you didn't name names. I don't, yeah. Well, yeah, Were you it ever happened, but, you know, it was a short, it was a short um, moment, and then the person called me and apologized for it, and admitted I was right. I always like to know that I'm right. All right. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're right about the Japan thing, and you're uh, right about that. Yeah. <laughs> it rules being right. Um, well, you know, we're, we're getting towards the, the end of our, our time here, and we thought... Oh, well, it uh, seems like it was 15 minutes. Yeah, 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 no kidding. Well, well, what we thought we would do since, you know, like there's so many questions that are, uh, that are very uh, uh, open-ended and we could talk about it forever, but we thought we'd, we'd do, some, do some quick hits uh, uh, in keeping with the Disneyland theme. We're, we're going to call this the Super Speed Tunnel. Uh, uh, we're going pick to up, pick up the pace a little bit here. Uh, um, so, uh, uh, guys, want to rev up the Super Speed Tunnel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Okay. Not my forte, you know. <laughs> oh, Phil. I love talking and talking and talking. We're going we fast. And you can go as long as you want. Right. Uh, well, I mean, the, we, the Van Eaton Gallery's uh, hired Pinkertons will break our knees. They won't come after you. Okay. So. We can call it the moderately paced tunnel. Yeah. Uh, that's less pressure, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Gentlemen. It was the slower paced tunnel. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, okay, what uh, what gift of Mara would you choose? Earthly riches. Youth. Youth, okay. Mm. You got it. Uh, oh. Do you like that Figment is in that little box on the Guardian's ride? It, if they would clear the glass up a little yes. bit. You know, they're oh. afraid that it'll derail the story if you can really see it, but then why did they put it there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, who has a more impressive collection, the Crafts or, or uh, uh, Tyvon? The uh, Cantilever Tyvon is the name of the character of Guardians of the Ga Galaxy. The Crafts oh. beats Tyvon. You heard it These here first. These are easy, you know. <laughs> you sure? So far, okay. Uh, it was a very exciting day on theme park social media when you were spotted at Diagon Alley at Universal in Florida. Uh, could you talk about the, the differences you think between uh, Disney and Universal and any Universal projects you uh, like or admire? Of course. Um, I can't do this in a one line. Yeah, that, that, no, yeah no, we're no. breaking. If you haven't, I, I, I'm not so crazy about the one here. Mm -hmm. Because the dynamics of the two parks and the Hogwarts Express, it becomes an incredible double adventure. Yeah. And the Diagon Alley is truly amazing. And uh, Gar uh, what is it, Gringotts, the Escape from Gringotts is probably one of the greatest rides ever. I think the thing that's positive about it is it's brought the level of competition up to a class that equals Disney. I would also add Efteling, if any of you have ever been to Holland. Yeah, a few, and they got our TEA, I'm on the TEA board, so I vote for awards, and uh, TEA gave award to Efteling for their new dark ride over there, which is interactive and incredible. But yeah, I mean, Escape from Gringotts and the whole, uh, 
you know, looking at that London approach across the lake, it's pretty damn impressive. And it's really amped up the competition between Disney and Universal. And that's very healthy for all the Imagineers and all the people at Universal too, because we're working harder, we're inventing new things. We're, that's what happens when you've got somebody barking at your door. If, if, if you're the only game in town, you get lazy, you know, so I like this. It does feel to me like, the, like we got to, we were lucky enough to grow up in that era where there was kind of the first big arms race yeah, with right, Disney right. and Universal, and it was great. Yeah. We were the winners yeah. either way. Yeah. Us yeah. Kids. yeah, see, it's good for the guests. It's good for the, um, the, the, the Imagineering and, and all the design companies that benefit from it. Sure. Um, Favorite Disney hotel? Hmm, probably two things. The Wilderness Lodge, because of its theming, but the campground... Uh, log cabins because it is so convenient. If you don't know this, you park your car right at your door so you don't have to schlep through the parking lots to get in and out of the lobby and then down a long aisle or anything. You come home from having a fun day, park your car, and three steps away is the door to your cabin. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, you don't have to have a, you don't have to have a tent or a trailer or anything. You can just book one of their cabins and they're really great. Bedroom, uh, another bed that comes out in the living room, a kitchen. It's the way to go at Disney World. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, I get 10% of all the people that say. <laughs> uh, oh, it's you great having a, a little commission. You yeah. snuck a second sponsor into this episode. Uh, um, th uh, this, is, this is actually a little open-ended. This was a little tip from the crafts. They said, uh, just mention two words to you and see what you say. And the two words are rocket rods. Rocket rods. Actually, you know, nobody knows the, the whole story on that. Well, maybe some of you do. But it was a big E-ride. It was going to be the Indiana Jones level attraction in there. We had, um, they, were, they are designed, and you can kind of see it if you look at that stripped down version that we had to build for one quarter of the money that was originally allocated for it. Um, it was going to be a wireframe, like a computer design that was rough and hadn't been filled out yet. And the idea was after experiencing the ride, and of course we would photo capture you, you would go to the design center and then you would build body types for it and colors. And at the end, you'd get a printout of the car you designed uh, with the colors you selected. And the goal was that would all be beta test information for our company that was involved in building cars that was going to, going to sponsor it. And, uh, and that would give them the color preferences and the sh shapes, whether it was round shapes or square shapes or angular shapes, whatever, that came out of the choices that people tended to pick, which I thought was a genius thing. And it was four times the amount because we were going to profile the track. Uh, it's the same ride system that's used on test track and also uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. And there's one more, I think, that we have. Maybe not. Oh, yeah, Cars Radiator Life. Springs. Yeah, how could I forget that? So it wasn't a question of it not working. It's just that by the time you backed out the track reprofiling and the, the big event of the fact you were riding in an undesigned car, they looked, we did one car, maybe some of you saw it, that had the night uh, striping on it so it glowed. And it looked just like a wireframe computer as it zoomed through the, the night sky there. So it would have been a really cool thing. But unfortunately, um, we are money. That's the one time I, where a company has just completely backed out. So it went down from 
you know, a, what a normal e-ticket would cost to about what you could build a teacup ride for. Mm. Yeah. So then, of course, the, you can't put that sign out in front and say, please excuse the fact that this is not a fully fleshed out, you know, and we hope you enjoy your three-hour wait to go on it, you know. <laughs> so At yeah. a panel in 20 years, you will understand yeah. why this Yeah, you will, you will learn the story. But the name Rocket Rods, that is very cool. Yeah. I mean, it says what it intended to do. I, I always think... You know, Disney, when they, they create their own IP, when you think of words like Space Mountain, two words that exist, but you put them together, and when you say them, Space Mountain, um, it's only one thing you see, and it's a Disney-branded thing. And I think Rocket Rods could have been just as cool if we had been able to do what we wanted to do with it. Is that a more frequent uh, scenario than we realized that, that like, something, the, the dream was this budget, and then it got, uh, it got reduced more than you would have liked? Well, everything else kind of worked within, okay, we, we always, like Indiana Jones, you may have seen the renderings that showed the, the minecar ride we put in Paris and the Jungle Cruise and a very diabolical third attraction. You wouldn't want to know what it was, though, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a maze. And see, Indy, the main ride that you have now is over 2,000, a little over 2,000 an hour. The little minecar ride that we have in Paris is about 900 an hour. So how are you going to you know, mitigate the expectations of all the guests coming off of the, the big Jeep ride and not able to go on the roller coaster. So we had this maze, and all the pivot points in it were interactive and movable by somebody watching from a grid above, looking down. And so if more than 900 people an hour got through the maze, they were vented back to the exit. So uh, it was great, because we, all, we were never starving the little minecar ride, but we were never creating an impossible situation where you know people couldn't ride it but you, can you imagine the thrill of going through that maze twice in a day after waiting for the main ride and never getting to the point where you get to go I think it would have been insidiously delicious you know oh man the tantrums you would have caused I know I have been there five days I've never gotten through the maze Oh man! Um, every every question we listed, we like now want a, a ton of answer. We love uh, this is all great. Um, I'm wondering, like, are there any attractions you're fond of that you maybe oversaw a little but didn't do like a ton of? Like, I I'm not sure how much you did. One of my favorite rides of all time is Alien Encounter. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, and and I'm wondering, uh, like, what are your thoughts on that, for example? Well, first, let's say soaring. Because um, that was a group of us in Aspen, and they now decided on the incredible theme of California Adventure as the main park theme. And they broke us down into three-quarter uh, groups and said, land, sea, and air. And I was on the air team, and so we started thinking we should really deal with extreme sports, things that Disney could let you do that you wouldn't do in real life. And so the, lo uh, the logical one for the air was hang gliding. So I, I remember going to the Ruben H. Fleet Science Center down in uh, San Diego, and they had an, an Omnimax, which is a curved dome uh, IMAX film. And I thought, what if you hung out over that thing and got the hang gliders to go out? So I did up some sketches. 
and everyone said, wow, that could be really good, you know. So they brought in a fellow by the name of Mark Sumner who called his mom and she said the rector, the rector set was still in the garage. So he said, well, get it out. I'm coming over tonight. And he figured out a way with a little crank and everything to pull three rows of uh, hang gliders up into the air. And they brought in then cinematographers and everything. So it, it, my involvement was, wouldn't it be cool to be in a hang glider and be safe? <laughs> you know? I think you should take more credit for that like that sounds like a lot well uh you know it, it was just an hour in a in a brainstorming session and you know that's how these things happen and then it took hundreds and hundreds of people to make uh that thing a real real yeah. thing that's now alien yeah 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 so that was pretty cool it was going to be truly the most frightening ride ever you know and we had this kind of white elephant in that the uh, mars previously the moon ride buildings uh, had been gra grossly passed over by time and the reality of knowing that there's you know it was one thing when you thought the moon was going to be inhabited by little green men and the first Ward Kimball film that was in there showed you the backside of the moon with a lost civilization it was worth going on the whole ride to see that flare go down and light up this this thing this city that was all destroyed and you go and it goes who knows what life forms lived in that city and then they go captain sir we're coming from around the dark side of the moon and you're going, wow. And when they got knowledge of the moon and they knew it's dry and dead and boring, then why are we spending all this time at Disneyland going to this dry, dead, boring place, you know? So um, we had this asset that was kind of becoming a liability. And so the idea of trapping you in the seats and dribbling what might be fluids from a beast down your back seemed like it would be horrific, you know? And... Um, it actually worked too well. Uh, you know, he, you, we weren't able to put a sign out there that said, if you're under the age of 20, we would advise you not riding this ride, <laughs> you know, so. So then it went the other way. You talk about the pendulum swing, and they put in Stitch, and uh, the thing that happened is, while we were Moaning doing... in the audience. We, while we were doing Stitch, you know, the television division was making Stitch a lovable, sweet character. So subsequent kids growing up didn't see Stitch as kind of the mean and bratty Stitch that he is in the movie. They saw lovable, sweet Stitch. So they're waiting in the line all happy that they're going to see their cartoon favorite. <laughs> and guess what? You know? So it, it was kind of... I, I, I think if I was picking, I'd go back to the original Alien Encounter. Sure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, um, if we could take it to uh, uh, to, to your attractions and, and uh, rides associated with you and animatronics associated with you, there's a, a segment we've been too lazy to do in a while called uh, Animatronic of the Month, and we were hoping really quickly you could pick from a uh, this the, we have a choice of, of three uh -oh. hardworking animatronics associated with your attractions. Uh, we have specifically space figment yeah. number one, as opposed to the other figments. Uh, we have uh, Roxanne, who is uh, Rex's girlfriend, who's only in Star Tours in Disneyland Paris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You've all been there, right? <laughs> I do. When I found out right, there was a girlfriend who was only in France. Scott's favorite character in fiction is Rex. 
Correct. <laughs> I thought it'd be stacking the deck for me to put Rex in here, so I chose Roxanne. And uh, and thirdly, the classic, the dynamite chewing goat. All right. If you had to pick, I have to say first of all, I love Figment. So, but the the space Figment, not my favorite. So uh, oh. I would have to go with the goat because he he's overcome such a lowly lot in life to be such a talked about, you know, audiometronic character. He never was created to achieve such notoriety. So I like that. I like How do you think his story uh, ends? Does he eventually... <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen Goat Splatter? <laughs> I have not had the pleasure. Mm -mm. I guess that's it. Um, well, I mean, else? I think we're heading toward. I think we're heading towards the end here. If there's, if there's, if there's one final thing we could, we we could ask you. You know, I'm sure you you've spoken to a number of uh, rooms of people who are maybe aspiring Imagineers like ourselves. But also, <laughs> there's a, there's a ton of people here who are in all parts of the of, of the creative arts. There's writers and actors and uh, uh, and artists and all kinds of people. Is is um is there some advice that you could give from your career that you think could apply? To, uh, to 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 all artists and all like in, just in terms of like this creating in, in, indelible works that uh, stand the test of time. Yeah, I think you know if you're just starting out and you, you, the doors all seem like impenetrable and the walls all seem like they're made out of brick and all that, which we all face. Uh, do a little research on wherever you're you're approaching, uh, whichever company it is, and of course you've got your portfolio of your work or whatever it is, and this goes for engineers, architects, artists, writers. You know that's what they're going to hire you to do, but you're competing with 50, 100 other applicants doing the same thing. So you say to yourself, and it used to be really easy for me when we were doing the um, Shanghai project. You go in there, you have a respectable portfolio of your work, and then you say, oh, by the way, I'm fluent in Mandarin Chinese. You've got the job, see? <laughs> and, uh, and timing is another thing. I had a friend that was first-year architect at school, came to me and said, should I finish three more years or apply right now? And I said, we're four years from opening Epcot. If you come in now, we can't, we are hiring everybody that walks in the door that has any talent at all. In four years, when we finish Epcot, we'll be laying everyone off. And that's when you'll be coming in with your fabulous degree. <laughs> you know, so timing is another really critical thing. Uh, you know, there's a moment where all projects, films, everything are really open to the need right at that moment. And finding those windows and then finding a way to make yourself more than your key, you know, uh, asset value-wise. Um, and for me, it was engineering. I had my portfolio. I could see the look of, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, okay, okay. So do you have anything else? And then I took them out to the parking lot in front of Imagineering. I would rented a van, and I had this kinetic sculpture out there. And we opened the back end of the van, and the, and the interviewer looked at it and said, do you think you'd mind bringing this around into the, the company in the back end and letting some people look at it? I said, well, let me think about that. Um, yeah, I'd be okay with that. So we're carting it in. I'm looking at all these audiometronics being tested and ride tracks with vehicles going around, all that, and carrying my piece in. And for four hours, people came from every department 
come down and go, can you run it one more time, <laughs> you know? And then for, I got the job about three weeks later, and when I started, for the next six months, people would say, are you the guy that brought in that, that, that machine, that crazy machine? So who would have known? I wasn't even going to show that unless I got a sense that the interview was going bad. So I think that, you know, that was the, the turning point. For people that have been in a company or in a company, you know, it's kind of easy to cite out all the the goals and areas that you might rather be in in the where, than where you are. I mean, I was scooping ice cream, and you don't say, oh, tomorrow I want to be an Imagineer. But you go, if I was working on a ride, at least I'd be dealing with the products that I want to be involved in from a creative standpoint. So that goal was fairly easy to, to get to. And then being a ride operator, you're around people all the time that have more influence at WDI. And so that turned out to be one of the leaders at Disneyland who said, well, I'll take your stuff up there. Um, if you can, you know, this was before you could put it on a flash drive or anything. And I, it was my one and only portfolio of work. So saying goodbye to it, you know, is kind of scary. But it landed me an interview. So, you know, and I didn't know anybody. So it's, it really is still doable. And I think the exciting thing about the era we're in now is, you know, if something goes viral online, you're suddenly a superstar. And, you know, that wasn't possible. That was not doable. And, and it, it's something that's a fact of life now. So there are many more avenues. It's a cluttered field, more so than when I was here. But then you've got more avenues to break through. So good luck. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. That's incredible. Uh, I guess I mean, that being said... I can't believe I get to say this. Tony Baxter, you survived podcast the ride. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. We had a, we had a dream guest when we started doing this last year, and you your your name was that dream guest. <laughs> And it so happened. it happened. A ton of people in an abandoned sports. Well, I have to thank Mike and Richard, who are two of my good friends, for organizing this amazing event. I've already been here once uh, to look at it, and it's like a walk down memory lane, and then some. And uh, so it's really great that something like this happened. Really. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think I speak for uh, for for everybody here, all three of us, when I say the 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 stuff that you did and the the rides that you put so much effort into made our our childhoods better and cooler. And you being here uh, tonight helped make our adulthoods uh, <laughs> better and cooler. Adulthood? Where's that twelve-year-old? It's got to be there somewhere. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, indeed, it's there. Uh, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. Uh, Thank you. One more hand for Tony Baxter. All right, for Tony Baxter. Wow. Uh, thanks to the Van Eaton Gallery. The Van Eaton Galleries. Thanks to Richard and Nicholas Kraft for putting this thing on and put it. Yeah, definitely, Nikki. You too. Thank you to Paul Shear for hooking this up for us and connecting the yeah. dots. What a great man. You made a dream come true. Uh, and thanks all of you for coming out here and for traveling from Thousand Oaks or Australia. Or Anaheim. Appreciate it. Or, or Anaheim. Anaheim. Yes, as Tony says. Uh, uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Twitter, Instagram, Podcast Right at Gmail. Come back for more stuff at the That's From Disneyland Gallery and have a magical day. Thanks, everybody. Right.